Hi, my name is Jeff Gretz of the band Zeo and numerous other groups. Uh, you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Are you being realistic? As the story grows. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. Boom. Right on, dude. Thanks for coming on the show. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. We have been talking about having you on the show for a long time. Long time. I mean, I've te- I was technically was on before, but not not on my own. Yeah, but you were with Dan and Scott, and they ruined everything. So yeah, right, yeah. right. Time to get just you. Talk about this insane discography. Um, let's see, Jeff Gretz. I met Jeff Gretz because of this newfound Zayo thing of mine. Um. I guess the first time I met you was Pittsburgh when I find, when I drove out to see the first show when you guys played for the first time in four years or whatever. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, at the at the uh, altar bar. At the altar bar. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I think that was that was the first time we met. Yes, because I remember feeling awkward about having you sign that dude's poster. Ah, that's right. Because I right. yeah, uh, Skull Toaster and, and and me and Metal Bandcamp Gift Club did a little stupid giveaway and. Uh, and then it hit me like, I, I don't know this guy, and I have to ask him to sign up. That that's just weird. Like I felt okay around Scott and Dan and everybody else, but for some reason I was like, I have to like hunt this dude down in the back of the car while it's raining before they leave for the airport to fly out to wherever you were going. I was like, we sign this post. Oh yeah, oh, that's fine. I mean, we have to I have to do that usually at shows anyway, so mm-hmm. it's not a not a big deal. That's part of the part of the job. So then after after you guys did Webster Hall in New York. Um, we were dropping off all your equipment because everybody else had to drive home. Yeah, and uh, and and we were and and we were like, yeah, we should do we should do one with you because this guy Jeff, ladies and gentlemen, he plays a little bit more than just Zayo drums. We gotta we gotta we got a lot to get into. Let's just get into it, man. Okay. Yeah. You're uh you're living in New York, but you're a Steelers fan. That must be weird, huh? Uh, not really, because most of the people that live in New York aren't from New York, so you run into a little bit of everything. All right. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, there, there are Steeler bars all over the place. There's Ravens. <laughs> there's Ravens bars. Uh, I hate the Ravens. Uh, who doesn't? Dude, they beat the Niners in in the Super Bowl, and I'm a Niners fan. And oh my, Ray Lewis can kiss the fattest part of my ass. That's all I got. They're they're playing in London right now. I I haven't uh, looked at what the score is. I don't know. But my point is, you're from yeah. Pittsburgh. You're from out in Zaoland. Yes. Yes. So uh, let's talk about little Jeff Gretz. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you need? 
<laughs> no, I meant little Jeff Gretz. Like, oh, uh, little like, Jeff. Like, take us all the way back. Before, like, like I want to get into how Zayo got in touch with you and everything because it's actually kind of a funny story because someone passed you a note. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Sounds like you guys were in grade school. But, I mean, take us back further than that. You started playing the drums as a kid. Everybody has that wooden spoon, pots and pans moment. Yeah, I had, uh, mine were, mine were uh, coffee cans okay. with like, uh, little dowel rods. Uh, and I would, I would play on the plastic side of the coffee can for the drum, and I would flip other ones over for the cymbals. And uh, already yeah, an I, innovator. I, I did that, but uh, my dad was a drummer, so there was always a drum set in the house. Oh, that's cheating! So, you can't do that, man. So I did both. What What was your dad doing? Uh, he was playing in a. Uh, at the time, he was playing in a. Uh, I guess like a, a wedding band. Uh, they were top forty band at the time. So this was like late, late seventies. So they were doing a lot of disco. Uh, was yeah, that of, something? Was that something? Of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's all right. Was that something that dad did, or is that something that like he drug you along and you got to see it sometimes? Oh, I got to see it a couple times. Oh, that's. I, right. I, think I was probably like five years old, and they like snuck me into a bar, <laughs> and I, I watched them, watched them play disco. And my dad had one of those uh, big '70s drum sets, like the single-headed concert toms, and it was one of the uh, yeah. the, Lud- the the clear Ludwig Vistalite. Right on, very Phil Collins. I like. That. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, and that was it. You just you just want to do what Daddy do, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, okay. I really don't remember starting to play. I just I just always remember that I was playing. Like okay. I'd, put, I'd put headphones on and play along to uh, Beach Boys records and a lot of Neil Diamond. Okay. Just uh, based on what was, you know, what my parents at the time were listening to, sure. I would play. I would play along to that stuff with headphones on. Uh, I used the coffee cans because I had a hard time on the drum set because I couldn't really reach stuff when I was little. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, I just, I just constantly played. You know, was playing. <laughs> and, uh, probably formed my first band in uh, early high school. Mm-hmm. And used to play at the local, you know, all the local, you know, rock shows. My my early high school was like '91, so that was like right when like Nirvana hit. Gotcha. So everybody had a band, and you could be a band, and you didn't have to be great. So there was like this big scene, you know, like it, you know, it, it's that that was the big thing about like the whole Nirvana grunge movement is that you didn't have to have you know big hair and virtuoso guitar players. You know, anybody could be a band. You didn't have to look good. You didn't have to play good. Right, you just had right. to be awesome at what you do. And you know, a lot of a lot of uh, people my age were like getting into stuff like punk music and you know stuff like that. So there was like a big like scene, you know, in our small town. And so I had met through my band at the time. Like you know, my band in high school would play with Marty's band, uh, which also had Brett in it. Right. Uh, Brett and Marty were in a band together. Uh, and then, you know, Scott, Scott was playing and, you know, he, Scott had a band and like Dan had a band. And so we all knew each other from, you know, mid, you know, early to mid nineties. Uh, wow. So you knew Zayo before Zayo was Zayo. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember when Brett joined Zayo, um, before, before Russ and Dan were even involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it goes, it goes back. I mean, I, yeah, I was back with them way back, way back. Right. We were all friends. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I went and then I went, you know, they started doing, you know, Zeo, Juliana theory, all that stuff. Scott was in creationist crucifixion and I went off to college. So I kind of lost touch with all those guys for a while. Okay. Um, and I I went to college and studied, studied percussion. Did Uh, you really? Yeah. I didn't even know that. I, I pretty much, I was focusing on more orchestral percussion when i was in college i really mm-hmm. i mean i did drum set stuff like i played in the you know the college jazz band and all that kind of stuff but i uh my main focus was stuff like timpani and marimba and orchestral excerpts like learning how to properly crash cymbals and all that kind of stuff huh. uh so yeah and then when i got out of college i started teaching uh drum lessons i was i was living outside of our hometown but uh, a there was a music store in downtown Greensburg that a uh, drum teacher basically was retiring and said, "Hey, do you want to pick up these 28 students I had?" So I ended up with like a studio of 28 private students wow. overnight. And uh, Dan tattooed right around the corner from there. Right. And so I would see him occasionally in town, and we just started talking again. And yeah, one day I came in to uh, teach lessons, and there was a note that Dan had left because he knew I was coming in and it said, uh, Dan from Zayo, we need a drummer. <laughs> and initially they just wanted me to, uh, they had a Steven Peck who was playing decided he wasn't going to do it anymore. Probably about three weeks before they were going on a tour. It's like a two and a half or three week tour in Europe. Wow. Uh, it was a uh, Zayo and bleeding through in Europe. And so we had to like, I didn't even have a passport at that point. So we had to like rush expedite a passport and I was just going to go do the European tour. And then we were coming back and there was a U.S. tour with bleeding through that ended up meeting up with warp tour at the end of it. Hmm. So I was going to do the Europe tour and the bleeding through slash warp tour. And then we were going to take it from there. Okay. Slow. And then I, I ended- hold on, hold on. Okay. So at this point, I'm sure you've played out before. I'm sure you've done local shows. I'm sure you've done stuff, but nothing yeah. of this caliber, correct? Uh, no. No, okay. that was the first, yeah. That was the first, like, thing that big. Okay. And one more thing. If you mentioned it, I missed it. I'm sorry. Where did you That's go to school? Uh, for college? Yeah, for college. I'm sorry. Uh, it was. A, it's a small state school in uh, PA. It's called the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Oh, right on. I know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's pretty much a, a big teacher school. Which is kind of what I started at. I went in for music education, mm-hmm. uh, and then I decided right towards the end, I'm like, I don't want to be a band director. So I, I switched to performance at the last minute and just got the hell out of there. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So um, rush your passport. Go to Europe with Zayo. You're going to do the American thing and end on Warped. I didn't mean to disrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's all right. And then, yeah, and then I just stuck around. It was, you know, there, I mean, there was, and then like while we were out with, uh, on that first U S tour, we got the word that like, Oh, now Zayo is going to go out with, uh, unearth and Dillinger escape plan. So like, you want to do this tour too? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that tour. And then when that was over, they're like, Oh, well it's time to do a new record. And then I just ended up sticking around. Mm. So technically they never, they've still never hired you. You just haven't left yet. Right, right. Gotcha. Oh, good to know. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> All right. Was, I mean, I was like kind of, I, I I mean, I, like I said, I knew everybody, and mm-hmm. I was a, I was a fan of the band because I started following them when they all joined. So I'd been keeping up with all the records and everything. Right. Uh, 
but it was, uh, I I sort of hesitated at first. You know, my first question when I talked to Scott about, you know, going on the tour and stuff, I'm like, you know, because I had heard stories, you know, like through the grapevine about Zayo and and like the the background stuff. And I'm just like, are there like prayer circles before the sets or something? Like, is this something I should, and they're like, no, no, it's nothing like that. What kind of stories were you hearing? I'm curious. Just stuff like that. Before they went on stage, there were like prayer circles, and you know, I had never seen them. I had never seen them live because there know? was at one time, right? I'm sure there was. Yeah, I'm sure okay. there was. I'm like, yeah. oh, they throw out Bibles from stage, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to. No, that's striper. Jeff. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Interesting. So you you didn't you didn't really come from that. None of this was. That that's a little bit of a different spin. Sometimes these bands know each other because uh, these these bands know these members because they were all buddies in youth group or church or something like that. This really this really didn't play in anything with Zayo. No, this, this is just no. boys from way back. But yeah, and even like when I knew a lot of the guys early, on, like I remember like Marty and and Brett were real into the you know the Jesus thing. Uh, to various degrees. I remember mm-hmm. there was one point where Marty sold off any of his uh, secular music. Oof. Like, got rid of everything. He's smarter than me, dude. I burned mine at one point. And then he had to go back and, like, rebuy everything. Uh, yeah, it cost me I remember. I did the youth group thing. I remember that. Did, did, did uh, religion or Christ ever play into any part of your life or aspect or anything? I mean, I, I grew up Catholic. Okay. I mean, I, I went to Catholic school. I, I was an altar boy. Uh, like I, it's it's weird because like I I know my parents. I was my parents are like really out of it. Like they they follow what I do, but they also like when I say out of it, like they don't quite understand. Like when I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm joining Zayo and I'm getting flack from the fans because I'm not a Christian. And my mom's like, but you are a Christian. You were raised Catholic. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what they're talking <laughs> no, about. No, mom. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't count. <laughs> right, right, right. Like in that definition, like in that, you know, so it was weird. This entire I never, scene. I never said I didn't believe. I, that, that was not the point. I'm not, gotcha. I'm not a Christian in the born again sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. Fair enough. Th- this entire scene not not even is a part of it anymore but i mean that scene that everyone's referring to like the whole like tooth and nail solid state thing kind of kind of tough to explain at the ten thousand foot level like you do really kind of have to micro it a little you know yeah because you're painting with too broad of a brush for some people and other people are are very into the fine details and yuck let's move on so while you're in zayo and um now the uh, fear is what keeps us here is technically the first time we've heard Jeff Gretz on a Zayo record, correct? Yes. Um, yes. L- very, very little known producer, very, very small budget album. Am I am, am I am I correct in that? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, Steve is definitely uh, up there in the rock royalty, whether he wants to admit it or not. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. Let's, but it, let's, I'll tell let's you clarify what, that. You went it, out to it, work with one of the, the grand the scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, that was a small budget album. I guess that so. Album, that album cost half of what Funeral of God cost to record. No kidding? Yep. With, with um, oh my God, I'm forgetting his last name. Here I am trying to make such a big deal. Steve, uh... uh well, Steve Albini did. Albini, Fear, but, Albini, uh, right? Yeah, 
Eric Rachel did uh, Funeral of God, but yeah, I think they spent a lot more on Funeral of God. Scott told me that uh, I might get this wrong. Albini said Zayo at that time was the second band he has ever seen stop recording to watch football. Yeah. And the first band was Neurosis. Did I get that right? That's absolutely correct. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Zayo and Neurosis are the only two bands that he's ever had in there that stopped what they were doing when there was a football game on. For, for For Neurosis, it was the Raiders. Okay. Right. Yeah, apparently, cool. apparently, somebody in Neurosis has the Raiders logo tattooed on their chest. On the chest? Uh, that's what Steve told us. That's expensive I, real I, estate when it comes to tattoos. Jeez. Wow. And I don't know. I don't know how they feel about the Raiders moving to Vegas. I can't imagine that's a literally pop- stole popular the next, decision over the there. The next thing out of my mouth. All these Oakland Raider tattoo people. How do you feel now? They're moving to Vegas. You have to get like weird slot machine versions of the tattoos or something. <laughs> Gross. Whatever. All right. So, uh, uh, kind of a shitty broad question, but uh, what was it like recording with Albini? Explain that, because uh, you're not you're not going to get an opportunity to do that again. And many people who are listening to this may have never gotten that opportunity. So, I mean, we could we could we could go out there we could go out there next month and record if we wanted to. Oh, okay. It's it's the the door is open. I mean, that's the thing. Like he, his whole thing is he doesn't turn anybody down. Like you could have any, if you're willing to go out there and show up and pay them, like you can schedule the time. Like, it's not like you, you don't have to go through an audition process to get Steve to record you or you literally, if you call the studio, he picks up the phone and he's like, how can I help you? And if you're like, we want to book a recording session, he'll be like, okay, when do you want to come in? And he'll pencil it in and he'll do it. He's not so big. He's not so big that, that he picks and chooses. No. Okay. He'll, he'll, he'll record. He said he'll record anybody. Hmm. I think. I think where he starts to. I, I know he has turned some people down, but usually when he turns bands down, it's larger acts. I think he turned. I think he said he turned down the Black Crows. Wow. If I remember correctly, but but that was a situation. He said a lot of times with those acts, they'll they'll be like, well, we want you to fly out to say L.A. And we want to we want to record for a month. That's when he, that's when you really got you got to sell him on it. Oh, uh, I see. He kind of because his, his his technical limit for a project is two weeks. If you're if you want to work on a record in t- fourteen days or less, no problem. He will book it. Once you go over that fourteen day mark, then it turns into a different type of a different type of deal. Different or if you want, him, or if you want him to travel. Okay, fair enough. Like we booked fourteen, we booked two weeks. Okay, uh, uh, we really didn't need it. We we ended up we ended up being done with stuff way earlier. Yeah. But he actually approached Zayo. That go. was the difference. That thing because he approached the band because I was gonna, his I was his girlfriend. Lead you down that path. Did, yeah, his girlfriend at the time was working on a documentary about uh, uh, the. Cornerstone Festival, mm-hmm. and there was uh, footage of Zayo, which which is funny because I think the footage of Zayo in the documentary was footage with Corey. I am not sure. Was, I think Corey Darst was saying what Dan wasn't in the band at that point. Okay, all right. Of the footage she had, but apparently 
she was like what you know when she was editing that particular part of the documentary you know steve said you know i was sitting there and this footage kept playing and i'm like i really like these guys and she was going to a show that was i think it was on the might have been on the farewell tour that happened after, right around like self-titled Parade of Chaos era when, mm-hmm. when Zayo was going to break up or around that time. And she went to a show in Chicago and approached Scott and Dan and said, hey, my, my boyfriend owns a recording studio. Uh, you should check it out. And they're just like, oh, okay. You know, you hear that stuff all the time. Sure. <laughs> she failed to mention like, her boyfriend was Steve Albini. <laughs> right. Well, and then I, I guess uh, she had Steve call the bar. And I guess the bartender was like, oh, yeah, or, you know, went up to Scott and like, are you and Zayo? And Scott's like, yeah. And the bartender's like, oh, uh, Steve Albini's on the phone for you. And Scott was like, shut up. Yeah. And I think they went over to the, the studio and, and looked around a little bit after the after the show. And they tried to use Steve for Funeral of God, but I think Ferret said no. Okay. And then after Funeral of God, we, we, we pushed it again. And we talked Ferret into it because we, we A, pointed out, like, because they were just like, no, we don't want you to record with Albini. And then we're like, yeah, you know, you know that Steve is the guy that did Times of Grace, right? And then they're like, oh, oh, okay. Well, that's different. <laughs> like, we're like, oh, yeah, he's the guy that records Neurosis now. Then all of a sudden, Ferret's like, oh, okay. And then when we pointed out that it would be cheaper and Steve doesn't take producer points, like royalties, he refuses mm. to. So Ferret was in that too because then they didn't have to account to uh, for producer royalties. Why does he refuse producer points? You would think that's a money loss for him. Oh, it is. Okay. I mean, he said he. I think when he like when he did the Nirvana record, he didn't take any points on that. <sighs> he, he recorded it for a flat fee, and uh, he. But he said that because that's what he doesn't want to take the producer points because he doesn't feel that he inputs enough. He doesn't input like opinions or musical guidance on the stuff he records okay so he, he looks at he literally looks at himself as like a uh, you know the, he said uh, he's like I, I have a trade i'm like a plumber or an electrician i do the job that the band wants me to do and i record the record they want to record and i make it work on a technical level he's like but he never sits there and says oh you should cut this chorus down or you should add a bridge here or like he doesn't op- he doesn't function like that. That's why he doesn't li- like himself listed as a producer. Got it. It's always re- recorded by Steve okay. Albini. And okay. he actually doesn't even care if you credit him. Because he got like, paid already. Like, I don't even need a recording. Right. Yeah. I mean, he just he said that way he doesn't have to shoulder any responsibility for a bad record. But he's also not going to take credit for a great record because he said if it's a great record, it's because of the band, not because of me. He's just the guy hitting the power button. Yeah. I mean, it was really, I mean, every once in a while we would ask him an opinion if we were like sort of stuck, if we were, if we were internally debating about something Mm -hmm. and we would ask him. And the thing was, he wouldn't really give you a, this is what I think he would always give you. Well, he's like, well, if you do it this way, these are the things that could be good, but this is the chain reaction of bad that it could start. If you do it this way, here's the pros and cons of that. So, Whatever you think. Like, he would just, like, lay it out in a very, like, here's the pros and cons of both. I don't know. Decide which one's best for you. Just another person who I'm 
compiling a list of with my whole like uh, trying to find the humanity in an industry full of monsters. You just assume somebody that recorded Nevermind is probably um, unapproachable. And this guy sounds totally like, nope. <laughs> like, like, I mean, he, there, there, I mean, we'd always heard stories about like, oh, Steve Albini, he's such a dick. And then, like, he just like, uh, he's like nasty. And, but I think a lot of people like approach him in the, in the aspect that like, oh, Steve Albini's a dick. And so they try to be a dick to him. And then it, no, he was totally fine. Like really? totally pleasant, totally pleasant. Hmm. I mean, we went in there, we were prepared. We, we didn't screw around. Right. Uh, and that's another thing. If you go in there and you're screwing around and you're not prepared, it's his job to act like a dick because right. at that point, you know, you're wasting your own money. You're wasting my time. I have to do a little parenting. And I guess there's some musicians out there that don't want to be treated like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is gross. <laughs> like seriously, you're going to spend the money and get out to Albini with his resume and then not be prepared. I think he deserves to kind of backhand you a little bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we got the – I think Dan had to – I forget why. Dan couldn't travel out with us, okay. which wasn't a big deal because we were going to do – we did it live. Like it was me, Marty, and Scott all playing together. And like, mm -hmm. that, was, that was what ended up on the thing. Uh, but we weren't going to do the vocals live. We just wanted to get like the, bed, the bedrock of the full band down and then have Dan. So we didn't need Dan for the first couple days. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we finished – ahead of schedule on that i think the, the the backing tracks for the whole thing were recorded in about i want to say a day and a half mm. like we the first day the first day we spent probably eight hours getting sounds mm -hmm. uh and then i think laid down like one or two songs like just sort of a test run mm -hmm. and then came, came back the next morning and listened to make sure we were happy with how things were starting and then we did the bulk of the record that next day. Wow. Just blew it uh, up because you guys yeah. I think Dan spent a day and a half doing vocals maybe. Mm -hmm. Scott did – Scott went through and like did guitar overdubs. Like pretty much just him like occasional harmony parts but for the most part just like a doubling. He did that while I was making lunch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Like they literally like pulled the reel of tape up and – He's like, okay, just hit record, and he went through and like played, like just played along to every song, kept the first take, and moved on. Like I missed the, I missed the entire guitar overdub of the entire album while I was making lunch. Hmm. Like that's how fast it went. Nice helps to go. And, the then, and then we got, and then we got to the point where it was like we spent like would do like two, two or three mixes a day. Like it was really fast. Mm -hmm. I think the last two days we didn't even do anything. I mean, we were we were, we were scheduled to leave for tour. Uh, we were meeting up with In Flames in Arizona as soon as the session was done, and we were, so we were just kind of like we just hung out the past two days and mm -hmm. played played billiards with Steve, and he's a big billiards guy. Billiards, not pool. Billiards. I'm not good. I could I could never figure out billiards. It's too many and, angles. And he he always and he always would offer he offered it to us, and he always offers it to he puts the band up to a billiards challenge. Mm -hmm. If you beat him at a game, he will, he will, he will knock, he will eliminate the uh, recording fee. Shut up. And you record for free. If you lose, you have to pay him double. 
So of course you all say no because you're afraid of him. <laughs> yeah, like you're like because you never bet the dude that carries his own stick into a pool hall, right? Uh, well, the best is cat billiards. They, yeah, there's a bunch of cats at the studio, and like cat billiards is great because like basically the cats like to hang out on the billiard table, okay. and you have to play you have to play around them. <laughs> and sometimes the cats get involved. So okay, if a cat touches one of the balls and moves it, is that like considered like when the ball? hits an umpire it's still like a live ball or do you get to put the ball back oh no no it's like it's like golf it's like you play it where it lands oh so so like you can like you can totally have a cat interfere with the game and it goes your favor or it doesn't go your favor right you don't put the ball back okay i i, I don't know the rules of cat billy <laughs> no one does jeff no <laughs> whole new sport talk a little bit about recording awake because i don't think anybody really knows much about that album that was that quietly came out and you guys didn't really tour on it and i think it's a rad album i think it has some great songs on it and it's kind of just out there yeah i mean that was a weird one uh we right after we finished up the fear touring uh things got really strange like where the band we kind of knew the band was taking a break Hmm. uh i remember the last show we played out in California, Dan had to fly home for a wedding and then Scott decided to fly with him. So me and Marty and our tour manager and merch guy at the time basically drove back across the country after the last show. And that was the last time I talked to Scott or Dan in for two years. What happened? Why, why ended Uh, like that? There was like, sort of like, sort of, uh, there was sort of talk during the tour that like, this is the last tour we're done. We're done. But like, you didn't really take it seriously. Okay. And like, but then it was also like, Oh, well maybe it's just the last tour for a while or we'll reconvene at some point. And then I was already planning on moving to New York after that last tour. Mm-hmm. But kind of like I am now where I'm like, Hey, let me know. I'll, I'll come back for it. You know, I'll come back whenever we're ready to go. Um, and then I came to New York and then it just, I started reaching out just trying to feel out what was going on and like no one was answering and it turned into, yeah, yeah, we're done. We're done. And then I heard from our tour and like, it, like I couldn't get Scott to return calls. It, things got real weird. I never really got to the bottom of it. Uh, I remember I talked to our tour manager, at one, our old tour manager at one point and he's like, yeah, I talked to Scott and he said he's never writing a Zayo song again. And it was what just the got, hell it, happened? I wonder. I don't. I, I never really got the full story. I'm, I'm sure this will. I'm sure Scott will listen to this and maybe explain to me what happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, and then like, and then I went off, and I was. Uh, I took. I took the gig with From Autumn to Ashes. You know, I told. I told our manager at the time for Zayo. I'm like, I gotta tell people that I'm leaving Zayo because I need people to know that I'm available. You know, even though I wasn't really quitting, like, I'm just like, I got to say that I did. And literally, I said that I quit Zayo. And the next day, Carl from Ferret emailed me and said, hey, from Autumn to Ashes is looking for a a fill-in drummer. So, you know, my my, my gamble with that literally worked. Like, that was the problem. Like, no one was going to call me to do something because they thought I was still in Zayo. Gotcha. 
Okay. So that me me quitting briefly was a technically a formality, just so I could right. get some work. Uh, but you were told at that point Zayo was done anyway, so you were yeah. like, okay, I mean, like, because right. Zayo never came out with an official press thing, okay, we're done, everyone assumed you're, everyone assumed Zayo was still a thing, and you're still in it. Yeah. Got it, okay. Huh. Uh, and then, like, it was, it was, like, it just lined up perfectly, like, from Autumn to Ashes, like, I was touring with them for a little bit, like, basically, is I wasn't really a band member, it was just kind of like, I was the live drummer. Okay. Uh, and then they decided to pack it in. And so we, we had a couple, we had like a tour of Japan coming up and there was a couple other things, but it was, I pretty much knew it was done. And, uh, Zayo's manager, uh, at the time, Ryan Downey called and said, Hey, Scott wants to do a record. Would you be down? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then that we, and then, then Scott and I touched base again and caught up and. Okay. So there was no bad blood of you saying I officially quit Zayo. No, no, not at all. It was just like a, like you said, like a formality thing. Yeah. Okay. So then Autumn to Ashes was a, a thing. I mean, arguably, at that point, probably maybe some of the biggest stuff you've done yet? It's weird. Yeah, we did a lot of big shows. A lot of big stuff over in Europe. I mean, honestly, in the States, I don't think the shows were that much bigger than what Zayo was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were, but yeah. It's, I, I thought it was comparative. There was one point where I think From Autumn to Ashes was a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I joined, th- things were weird there. They had just had the, the lead singer, drummer, switcheroo stuff going on. and uh, Yeah, so it, it was hard to tell. I, th- I definitely came in on the downslide mm-hmm. over there. So it really wasn't that much of a difference. Gotcha. In okay. terms of size of shows and stuff. I mean, some of the festival, I mean, when we'd go, I'd go over to Europe with, uh, from Auto to Ashes and like some of the festivals, like that was the first time I got to play like at the Download Festival and like Reading and Leeds wow. and uh, Pukle Pop. What? Uh, yeah. What's that? Pukle Pop? Never it's heard a, of it. It's a, oh, it's a huge festival over in Belgium. Okay. It's actually one of my, it's one of my favorite festivals because okay. there's no, it's not really genre specific. Like when we we played, I played with From Autumn to Ashes, like Trail of Dead. Okay. Played it with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonic Youth was there. They did Daydream Nation in its entirety. Right on. Uh, wow. I think Slayer played. Heard of them. Uh, <laughs> typo Negative. Like it was like all over the map. You know, uh, the Shins. <laughs> it was like they're one of my. Like they, they're one yeah, of my dirty. They're one of my dirty little secrets, dude. I Who, still, the I, No, the typo negative. I still uh, have a typo. Why is that a dirty secret? I, I, I get sh- a lot of shit for that, because I guess they're like quasi-fake vampires or whatever. But, dude, their band was rad. I love their shit. Oh, they were great. Yeah. They were great. God uh, bless Peter. But, yeah, so anyway, so right when From Autumn to Ashes packed it in, I found out about the, you know, they're like, oh, we want to do a Zaya record. And Scott pretty much had, you know, these songs done. And we battled... We battled around about who was going to record it or how we were going to do it, and my first my suggestion ended up falling apart. Uh, I wanted uh, Brian McTurnan to do it. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm not. He's down in. Uh, he's based out of Baltimore. Okay. He's done. He, he's done all the Cave In records. Oh, he, okay. record, he recorded Jupiter. Oh, okay. Um, and he had done the last From Autumn to Ashes record. And I really liked his stuff. Uh, Darkest Hour records with him, used to record with him too, but I don't think he has his uh, studio anymore. Okay. Uh, but at the time, I wanted to do it with him. 
and I thought everything was a go and it, behind the scenes stuff went down and it was decided that it would be, I guess my, my take on it was that it was decided that, Oh, well, since Zayo's not touring and has been out of the, you know, spotlight for a little bit, it might be good to have, you know, Tim Lambesis record it. Okay. You know, for that extra, that extra exposure to that crowd and that, that scene. Okay. Uh, I wasn't really into it because I don't, I was never a fan of Tim's like production style. I mean, it's okay. fine. It's just, I wasn't into that. I'm like, I don't want this to be, I don't want this to sound like an, as I lay dying record. I don't want this to sound, you know, that, cause we've never been into really into that. And we were just coming off the fear. I'm like, I don't want to go put out another record that kind of sounds like funeral of God. Uh, I thought we should move in a slightly different direction, mm-hmm. but you know, I, the price was right and I went I went out I flew I basically flew out to California and recorded the drums over like three or four days mm-hmm. and then Scott uh, Scott and Dan and uh, Marty all that stuff was done back in Pittsburgh and then the tracks were sent over to uh, Tim and his uh, engineer Daniel Castleman to basically reamp the guitars and then mix it but yeah we had a lot we had we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of like rules. Like we really didn't let Tim make the record that he wanted to make. I'm like, I don't want my drums triggered. Like I don't we don't want, you know, we don't want things, you know, quantized and edited and you know, don't fix this, don't fix that. And so yeah. it ended up being it ended up being a compromise between what we wanted and what Tim wanted. But I mean, it was just what it was. So is it, is it fair to say you guys didn't have the authority or the power to say no, thank you, but you did have, but you did have the, uh, the, the, the say in telling Tim, we don't want this and we do want this. Yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah. Like uh, other than sticking lamb, other than sticking lamb name on the album, what was the point? I I don't know. Okay. Right. I mean, I could, I, I have a theory, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to burn bridges. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, the, the, basically the, I'll just say it and whatever. Our manager at the time also managed him. So. Oh, double yeah. dipping. That, that's how that stuff works. I mean, and it's, sure. it's nothing again. I mean, that's, well, and like I, I mean, said, it was, paid. he really wanted to do it. He really right. wanted to record his AO record. And, Brian McTurner was willing to do it, but also at the same time, he didn't really care. It was just another, like, I think it was, he was looking at it like another recording, you know, thing. And he wasn't sold on how we were doing it. You know, Brian McTurner was like, I want the whole band to come in. And we're like, it's it's not going to work this time. Trust us, it'll be fine. Uh, So, you know, it was what it was. And we, I mean, and like I said, Tim gave us a really good deal on what he was charging. And at the time, like we, we were trying not to take a huge advance from ferret because we knew we weren't going to tour. <laughs> he gave you a good deal, but he didn't do anything. <laughs> he literally didn't do anything. It was all, it was all his engineer, Daniel. I mean, Tim wasn't barely even there when I recorded. He was barely there. He came in and he's like, he's like, so you guys pretty much know that these songs are structured this way. I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. Like these are the songs. I'm just laying it down. He's like, so you really don't need me from a, you know, producer song structure stand. We're like, no, no, no. Nope. These, songs are, <laughs> these songs are done. So okay. I pretty much worked with his engineer, Daniel. Hmm. Yeah, he was he was barely there.
So then Awake came out, and a uh, very interesting concept with the artwork, almost like interchangeable. You guys went a little tool with your uh, with your artwork, kind of, uh, you can pick your own cover sort of a thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ferret hated that, too. Yeah. There, Whoever was working at the art department there, like, we handed them the finished paintings, and whoever was working on the art department there refused to work on it because they hated the paintings. So... What? We okay. we had to, we had to pay the uh, the Clark brothers to lay it out because the ferret staff person refused to do it, which and ended up costing more money against Zayo's recouping. For, it was just a total disaster. It was just stuff like that. It was just like we're done with labels. How, how can what you refuse? How can you refuse the word? I don't get to call my boss and say I I no I'm not. I'll do these eight stops. I'm not doing these two. I don't. I'm not happy with those. I don't, I'm not allowed to say that. Why are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> Whatever. It's, it's like well, it's like the, you just keep like checking these things up on the list. You're like yeah. this is we're, we're doing this different next time. Like yeah. we're, we're, it's kind of why we stopped touring. Like because we we're just sick and tired of how how things were being presented to us like we weren't allowed to headline tours like Wh- for why? two years because everybody told us that we had to do all these support slots to build the crowd and the fact that because like you know funeral of god came out and did really well it did mm-hmm. better than anything had done on solid state mm-hmm. and then they're like well you got to do all these support tours so that the next record can do even better and we just kept saying, we're like, we think we hit the ceiling here. Like, I don't, I don't think, especially the tours they were sending us out. You send Zayo out on a hardcore tour. Everybody in that hardcore scene knows who Zayo is. They either know Zayo and like Zayo or know Zayo and hate Zayo. Their opinions already formed. You might pull in a couple more people, but not enough to swing everyone, a tour. Everyone that's seen already has that already has their opinion set. So you're not really gaining that many fans. You send us out on a tour with somebody like in flames and you might pick up some people, but for the most part, we're not really going to grab a lot of that crowd. So basically we spent a year and a half doing all these support slots with the, you know, the promise of, Oh, well the next record is going to be even bigger. And then basically what happened was the next record did just the same did exactly the same as the last one. But the difference was we weren't allowed to headline. So a lot of the Zayo fans quit coming because it's like, why are they going to spend, you know, $45 to see Zayo play for 25 minutes before in flames? Can't blame him. Right. And so I think there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of people that just lost track of the band. Zayo has always uh, fallen in between genre, even way before you. Zayo has always landed in between genre stuff. Right. I mean, um, I hate to drudge up blood and fire. I know, I know, I know that's probably a boring conversation for people that weren't even in the band at the time, which (laughs) is damn near everybody. But um, that was, that was so in between everything. Never heard anything like it before. And also felt like you heard it before because it's a little bit of hardcore a little bit of metal a little bit of spoken word poetry a little bit of carcass vocals with dance well, I was just, gonna say, just in general it just kind of sounded like heartwork by carcass 
<laughs> I was not. It's just I'm like, yeah, hard work by Carcass could be a Zayo record. Yeah, it could be. Like, could be. I mean, they're they're essentially the same thing. You guys are still kind of going out of your way to um, throw curveballs, and and we're gonna get and we're gonna get to the new EP because yeah. um, Scott sent me a copy and it's rad. And I was telling I was telling him before how I felt like I don't feel like this EP is any lesser than a well-intentioned virus. It's just shorter. Really? Yeah. All it is. I mean, is, I mean it's, I think it's more, it's just the shit that I, didn't fit. <laughs> really? Well, it's shit, it's shit that didn't fit like you for know? time constraint reasons, right, right, but right. also, but yeah. also for stylistic reasons. I mean, I think like some of the, like that, uh, the first song, uh, the drifting shadows in walking dreams mm-hmm. that we did for the decibel flexi disc, right. that was actually supposed to be on virus to the point where it got mixed. And, it we couldn't find a slot for it. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It didn't make sense after you know in between any other songs, mm-hmm. and so that one got pulled out. I mean, Drifting Shadows easily could have been in the place of uh, the Sun orbits around Flat Earth, Earth Witch Trials, sure. which was kind of when we were, when we put it on the list of songs to finish. That was the swappable spot for me because we didn't know how Witch Trials was going to turn out if it was mm-hmm. going to work because it has some tricky rhythm stuff in it. We're like, I don't know. We don't know what Dan's going to do over it. It just might be too much and too weird. Right. So drifting shadows was sort of the fallback. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the other songs, it was just like, we knew we only had so many slots to fill and the, the other four songs just kind of, we always knew they kind of got batched together. Right. Just cause they're a little bit more direct, a little bit, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I want to talk about that EP, yeah. but um, I want to cover this email that you sent me, where you were like, um, <laughs> "Here's a, here's all the stuff that Jeff does with his time when he's not in Zayo, because Zayo Zayo has kind of resolved itself and leveled off as kind of a we play long extended weekends when we can deal with it sort of a band. <laughs> so like yeah. like we'll go out and actually smash three cities and then not play for two months, you know, yeah. or whatever. Keeps it fresh. Yeah, we're, and, we're and you guys all right now. you guys all go home. Yeah, dude, you guys are doing it right because I know I know the insider stuff with Observed Observer and Scott has told told me some of the numbers and how you guys basically had your record paid off before it was released mm-hmm. just just because of the pre releases. Yeah, name a label you could have pulled that shit on, you know. So well, I mean, they're telling us that Awake never still hasn't recouped. <laughs> I'm just like, what, what are you talking about? Come on, we, man, it's crazy. We literally that that record Awake cost ten thousand dollars to make. Oh, this EP cost more than that. Like, I don't understand how... Yeah, yeah. whatever. Because it's bullshit. But anyway, let's not go down that path. But anyway, yeah. the reason why Zayo is the way that it is is because uh, we're all pushing our 40s and we all got day jobs and kids and marriages and, and mortgages and dogs and whatever. So you got some day jobs. And you're because of your performance degree, uh, I think... You've kind of re- you've kind of become that guy that's like you know what I'm going to do this I'm going to I'm going to play the drums and be involved in the music industry as a full time thing, and yeah. I got I got to tell you it's scary I know a lot of people that do it and I don't know anybody that's pulling off the schedule that you're pulling off because I also feel like you're like I mean nothing nothing personal to the other guys in Zayo but I mean I'm in far enough that I know the inside stuff you're like running the band at this point like setting up the tours, talking to people. I mean, th- when, when we stayed in hotel rooms, it was because Jeff booked them. You know what I mean? Like, like you're really, you, you really have like some, some really like, like 
ear to the ground education when it comes to knowing how to do all this kinds of stuff. And I'm so used to seeing bands just being like, oh no, we're just rock and roll, dude. And they don't kind of know what they're doing. Well, yeah, and that's that that's sort of a survival tactic sure you know it's like if we're going to do this we had to you know we don't have a manager right now mm-hmm. uh because the, we're not active enough to need one mm-hmm. so we could probably find one but then you're handing off a commission on everything then you're paying a dude right exactly yeah, you're paying a dude uh you know even now i mean we we're not afraid to like you know roll up our sleeves and do the extra work mm-hmm. you know uh not taking you know not taking a merch guy for a three-day run uh, out to california and just me and marty doing the merch ourselves uh it saves money saves mm-hmm. a hotel room it saves it, sometimes it, you take a merch guy though who smashes it and brings in a lot of money i'm well, just yeah, throwing that yeah. out i there. mean it's 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 just a, you know we we play it by ear specifically and... when i went i'm just just throwing it out there you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean it's like little stuff like that that a lot of bands won't do you know right. there there can you i mean i can't imagine there's certain bands that like i can't let the fans see me loading my own gear in like they'll, they'll lose the you know where's where's the illusion of success and it's like we don't give a shit you know illusion I'm, of success like who is going ah I hate that stuff I've who's, dealt with people like that uh, like well we have to have a guitar tech we can't be seen going out there and checking our drums or checking our guitar before we and I'm just like why who cares so like who dumb. cares it's so like, dumb who, I'd rather see I want I want to know that the dude changes his own oil I think it's cool you know yeah. Ugh, gross anyway let's dig into this email. Uh, I'm just going to go right down the email. You actually didn't mention from autumn to ashes in this email. So I'm glad you brought it up. So I think think we covered everything else. I remember when I first met you, you had a gig on the horizon. I think you got it, but hadn't done it yet. You actually played drums in a movie. Yeah. I know. I've never had this conversation with another person before. So why don't you tell us a little bit about is Jacob home? So the, uh, the the track I sent you is Jacob Home. It's a uh, clip from the movie Little Sister uh, that I got called at the last minute. I was literally sitting here watching football, and I got a text that said, hey, you don't know me. I'm an engineer and a composer. I need a drummer in two hours. Can you show up at the studio in Midtown Manhattan and bring your double bass drum pedal? Now, how did he get your number if you don't know him? I don't know. I, I, it was a recommendation through bathroom wall. Yeah. It was like this, like (laughs) four different recommendations down. And the person that, that he got my name from, I don't know who that person is. Okay. So he got my name from someone. I never did track down where it came from. Okay. Uh, just probably through mutual musicians or other gigs I had done in the past. So I show up and they're like, I'm like, what's the, what's the story here? And he hands me some charts and, uh, he's like, okay, I want you to, Basically, you're going to be playing drums, and it was like kind of like it was all notated out for for the most part. There was some improvisation stuff, but I'm like, so what am I playing along to? He's like, nothing. It's solo drums. 
that's going to be, it's a major, you know, uh, the, the idea in the movie was there is a character that was, he was like a death metal guy that went off and joined the army and got sent over to Iraq and got injured in, in the Iraq war and came back disfigured. And now he sits in the guest house of his family's home and plays drums all day and doesn't, you know, doesn't socialize with anybody. Wow. And he's like, and you're the sound of him playing, like practicing in the other room. Uh, but you're also his theme. Like when certain scenes in the movie happen, it's basically just solo drums. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, you're reading drum solo notation. Yeah. Like you're not, you're not playing kick snare, kick snare to an ACDC song. You're literally soloing and reading the notation. Yeah. Dude, I didn't know you were of that caliber. Like you, and that was that was the problem. They, they the film was going to premiere at South by Southwest two weeks after I did the tracking, and they <laughs> no pressure, man. They were having a hard time finding a drummer to do it because they were finding guys that had like the the double bass, you know, death metal chops or whatever, but they couldn't necessarily read the charts. That's me. And then they'd find guys that come in that could read but didn't have the double bass chops. Right. So it was down to the wire like they literally had like working they went through like youtube and just found like clips of people like playing drums and they had it in there as a placeholder but they're like yeah this film's premiering in two weeks and this is a major part of the soundtrack and we don't have it so it was like he's like are you sure you can do this and i'm like yeah so i just did it i didn't know anything about the movie and then uh then I started reading the things about the South by Southwest premiere and it's like starring Ali Sheedy. And I'm like, Holy crap. Cause I was like a big Ali Sheedy fan in the, I mean, breakfast club, uh, war games was one of my favorite movies growing up. Hell yeah. So I, and, uh, Barbara Crampton who was in, uh, phantasm, the phantasm. Oh yeah. I mean, it was just like, Holy crap. Like these are like some serious right. you know, sure. people. And then I got invited to the movie premiere like I've never <laughs> been to a movie premiere. Sure. Ali Sheedy gave me a thumbs up when they introduced me as the drummer, so that was kind of cool. That's awesome. Uh, the movie's on Netflix and stuff now. I'm just like crazy. I'm wrong about my timeline then, because if you're watching football and within two hours you're recording for it, I, I didn't talk to you in between those two times. So you must have had it done already by the time I talked to you. It's po- yeah, it's possible that it was done. Because you were telling and, me about it in the van in, into into New York, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's nuts. Just out of the blue, get a phone call. Yep. So you didn't get to finish watching the game. No. Nope. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I think it was, I don't think the Steelers were in the playoffs. I was just watching random playoff football at that point. I got to hear you talk about the Steelers and how good they are. I swear to God, I won't air this podcast. I get it enough from Scott. No, I said they weren't in the playoffs. I know. I'm just warning you. Here. I'm just telling you. I don't want to hear about it. I get enough from Mellinger. I don't want to deal with it. Little Sister with Ali Sheedy on Netflix. Okay. All right. Yeah. That'll be my first Netflix. I mean, the, the, fir- the first scene in the movie is Ali Sheedy lighting a bowl and okay. while, while I play a drum solo. Okay. All right. That works. Yeah. <laughs> I can't promote that kind of garbage on this show. It's a family show, Jeff. Sub Rosa by the Nels. Yeah, the Nels.
that's a that's a that's a new one. Uh, that record is probably coming out right around the same time as uh, the Zayo record. Uh huh. Led by a classical composer guitarist named Andrew McKenna Lee, and instead of a lead singer, has three soprano opera singers. And you even said weird shit at the end of yeah. it. Oh yeah, it's t- wow. totally weird. How I was I was a fan how? of the band. They put out a record a couple years ago, and I was actually a fan of theirs. Uh, and then I I knew a couple of the guys in the band. And uh, got asked to take over the drum duty when their other drummer left. Okay, all right. So you are you on this album or are you in this band? Both. I'm in the band now, but and also on the album. How are you balancing all this stuff? Well, the Nels, I, we did the recording stuff. I've only actually played out live with them one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone in that group like is pretty active in like different music scenes. Like uh, the 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 main leader, uh, he teaches. He teaches upstate at a college, uh, okay. like music, you know, recording and composition stuff. So everybody's really busy in that band, and it's, right. it's sort of a sort of a studio project right now. But uh, he, I, I know he wants to start playing out a little bit more after the record comes out. Right, right, right. But yeah, I mean, that, that's another one where everything's pretty composed out. Uh, he gives it like the drum parts and stuff. He he gives, I, but I did work on a lot of it with him. Right. Uh, but yeah, when I go in, like I have like a eight page chart for a 10 minute song that has, it's, it's pretty proggy at times. Wow. The charting thing is, is beyond me. I never, I just started getting into that with my drum teacher right before he quit. <laughs> when I was like in my senior year in high school, I just started charting out like Motley Crue songs, like, you know, kick on, kick on one threes and they're on two, four kind of stuff. I was just learning how to do that kind of stuff. I can't fathom what it's like to follow a solo on a chart. That's that's beyond me. I, I seriously, hats off to you. I don't. I don't. No, I know. I've spoken to a lot of professionals on the show that I don't think could do that. You know. I mean, that's kind of like I said. That's kind of what I was doing in college. I mean, some of the stuff that I had to play in, like when you're dealing with like contemporary, uh, contemporary like orchestral composers mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. A lot of the the modern modern stuff. Uh, right. Some of it gets really out of control. Sure. Like the notation and you know polyrhythms that are completely insane, you know. Uh, right. But so what I'm saying is, reading I, reading a reading a drum solo that's based off of you know just basic subdivisions and things that I would do anyway is kind of not a big deal. Okay. Uh, All to right. me, I mean, just based on because I read a lot harder stuff in the past. I'm I'm my my point is I went to a modern drummer festival. Remember those? Yeah, yeah. Been to the Modern Drummer Festival for, and there was this one country guy. There, apparently, Nashville uses at the time they were using like five drummers on every mm-hmm. country song you've ever heard, right? They they still do. They still do. Okay, and um, this one dude, older guy, can't remember his name, played an old Yamaha kit with the with the shells redrilled. I just remember that, and um, he explained Nashville shorthand. Oh, the number system. Right, and yeah. and and. He threw it up on the overhead projector, and you could tell all of us were just drooling on ourselves. Like, um, what? Like, like again, coming from the grunge era. Like, I, I can figure well, out the I mean, Nirvana song without. I mean, but, really, it's 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 kind of like music, like music notation, all that kind of. It's it's the same thing as just any language. Like you, you know, you've been reading letters so long, like words, and when you're reading, you know, words on a page, you're not looking at each individual letter. 
-hmm. you look at the grouping, like you start recognizing what the word is. You know, you, you look at it immediately and you, you know what it is. And that's kind of, it, it, music notation is just kind of like another language. Right. Like you don't look at each note. You, you learn the different note groupings and patterns of what they look like. And, and then you just, like I don't, when I'm reading music, I don't look at each individual little black dot. I see a grouping of black dots that might be, you know, uh, five seconds worth of music. I'm able to look at that and recognize that sentence. Got it. Because there's only so many combinations you can have, and over time you start to recognize the the pattern. I guess I guess my where I was going to go with this was you can go listen to any pop country song, and any drummer worth his salt hears that and goes piece of cake. I can play that because it is it's simple pop music. It's not yeah, much to yeah, it. Yeah. But this guy explained like this is the gig. Like I got the gig because I get up in the morning. I have a cup of coffee and I eat my breakfast and I read my paper and I hang out with my wife. And then I report for work at nine o'clock like people who go to an office work all day. I get a lunch break. When I'm done, I go home at night. I go home. I take a shower and I sit in my easy chair and have a couple drinks and get ready for work the next day. But that day he walked in and someone handed him the notation for like a Shania Twain record. Yeah. And, and every, and, and 10 million people heard that. And he just gets, here's your walk. It's like, it's like me going to work and having like my stops in my handheld for the day. Here's what you do today. Okay. And I already know what to do. Even though when I get there, there might be some surprises or whatever, but yeah, I kind of got the gist of it. Like that's how he treated being on a gigantic pop record. And I was kind of like, okay, wow. Like that pressure and the intimidation. I mean, I'm sorry. The pressure is what intimidated me to think oh i could never hang with that and he was i guess his angle was kind of like what you're saying he was kind of like no you totally can't it's not that complicated like like don't right, let this right. scare you you know and then when he threw it up there i was just like i'm i feel stupid i don't understand what the guy's saying but then you go listen to the whatever uh i'm just i'm pulled Shania twain out of my ass whoever yeah you listen to the song and go oh that's super stupid simple anybody can play that i know i know drummers nowhere near as good as me that can play that you know, so right. what's the big deal? It's just an, it's a, it's, it is, it is a different language until you learn it. And then once you learn it, it's, it's secondary, I guess. Well, there's also the chance that that guy might not have realized he was playing on a Shania Twain record at the time either. Mm. So like when you're talking about like that pressure of like, oh, there's this thing and millions of people are going to hear it. Like even when I did that movie, they're like, oh, you're doing a soundtrack for this film that's premiering at South by Southwest. I'm like, okay. I'm thinking like, I'll never hear about this again. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. like, I didn't know right. what it was. Uh, right. I've done a friend of mine recently when he, he a couple of years ago, he did a, uh, he plays, he plays in the band Emmanuel and the fear with me does, uh, he does synth stuff, but he's a flute player. Okay. Like that's his main instrument. And he got called in to do some, you know, like sort of like a jazz session or something doing some flute stuff. And then at the end of the session, the engineer is like, hey, uh, can I get you to lay something down? And he's like, yeah, what is it? He's like, oh, it's, I'm working on some stuff for uh, with the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> Whoa. And there was apparently some song that they had a sample going of, but they weren't sure if they were going to be able to clear it. So they wanted him to play something similar to it so they wouldn't have to do the sample clearing. Ah, the old Vanilla Ice trick. Yeah, so he yeah. did it. And... Uh, but at the same time, I, I, he doesn't know where it ended up. And I'm like, well, that's the thing about Wu-Tang Clan. It could end up anywhere. Okay. It could end up on a Wu-Tang record. It could end up on anything RZA's produced. We, we think that it – I think it might be on that that uh, 
that album they did where there's only one copy of it. What? I don't know if you heard about that. No. Yeah, the Wu-Tang Clan did the ultimate limited edition. There's a there's a they did a record where only one copy exists. There's no digital there's there's no digital component and they I think they sold it for a, a couple million. They <laughs> oh my God. Part, you know who bought it? No. Uh that that pharma bro dude. Uh the 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 AIDS medicine guy. Uh Martin Screlly or whatever. That piece of shit guy that Oh, like, the, the young patent. kid. That, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He bought it. He owns it. Oh, they should have refused to sell it to him. Well, there were rumors going around that there was something in the contract of the sale that goes on. Like he's not allowed to like put it out and resell it. Sure. He can like he can like have an event and have people listen to it, but he can't like redistribute it. I didn't mean redistribution or reproducing. I just meant he just right, should, but that, he should be allowed to own it on principle. Well, yeah, that's and they, I think they were kind of ticked off that he ended up getting it. But apparently there was a there was a rumor going around. There was a clause in the contract that any member of the Wu Tang Clan or Bill Murray are allowed to break into his home and steal it back with no legal consequences. <laughs> Why Bill Murray? Just because he's Bill? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's friends with the RZA or something. Dude, I love Bill Murray. How do you not love Bill Murray? You you brought up Emmanuel. Uh, you brought up Emmanuel. Go ahead, take it. Tell us about Emmanuel and the fear. Been doing that since uh, 2008, 2009. So nine uh, in your email. So yeah, yeah, it's like pretty much. I would say that is the closest thing to another band that I have. That's okay, like actually, like mine, like right. that I'm invested in both creatively and financially. Uh, yeah, it's just like it's just exploring uh, different types of uh, you know exploring the pop song. Throughout history, this Great kind stuff. of the vibe. I mean, right. it was like we, it started out as like an eleven-piece band. There was like a string section, a horn section, and over time, like we've pared it down to a manageable five or six-piece. Okay, I've, I've gone to I've gone to Europe with that band a bunch. Wow. Uh, we did a we did a release show at the for one of our records at the Gramercy Theater in Manhattan. Uh, that we had a we ended up utilizing the orchestra from NYU. Mm-hmm. added it into the band. So it was essentially like a 40 member band that night. It was the band with like a full string orchestra. Jeez. Yeah. So that's our thing. I mean, some of the stuff is like real, you know, really orchestrated out, like kind of has like a sixties or a seventies pop kind of sensibility, but we're also not opposed to like doing like program drums, like techno electronic stuff. And Yeah. How much of this has to do with the fact that you're in the city? Like, oh, like, let, let me. Okay, ton. let me let me finish my thought. There's a lot of drumming chorus, not just drumming. There's a lot of musician correspondence that goes on because of the magic of Dropbox and the internet and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. there's still something to be said for people that organically roll their sleeves up, get in a room, and get sweaty, right? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. The fact that you're in the city, this is a whole this is a whole different world for people that are trying to do things like I'm doing it, where it's like, mail me your files and I'll record them and mail them back. Like you're still getting in rooms with people a lot, right? Yeah, you still do that. I mean, there is a lot, even in New York, even amongst us, like with Emmanuel and the Fear, there's still a lot of like trading back and forth of files and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, Even when I get like freelance gigs, I'm like, I'll get emailed like demos or rehearsal recordings that like they had been working on for other stuff. Or if I'm filling in, they'll send me the record. And I do a lot of the work on my own. Uh, But you do get in the room, but it's different in, especially in New York, because rehearsal time is so expensive. Okay. Like a lot of people, you you don't. There's a lot of people that don't have their an own their own isolated uh, rehearsal space. Yeah, how'd you pull so, that off? Uh, the, through a manual in the fear and just sharing with other bands. You got to be, you know, it's expensive, but it's doable. Right. As a drummer, you kind of need it. Like I need somewhere to at least store my drums, uh, and some place that I can go and workshop on stuff. Mm-hmm. But I know like I know like piano players or guitarists or violinists like they don't have that. They just rehearse in their apartment. Right. And you you know, you find uh you find musician friendly apartment buildings. Uh there are some that are better than others. Uh, but yeah, but when you do get in the room, it, there's a lot of pressure in New York. You you have to you have to go in there prepared. Right. You know, the, the, you only have you have 3 hours to put together, you know, if you're if I'm filling in with a with a group you know, maybe a three hour blocked off rehearsal that I have to come in there. I have to know my shit and I have to get it done if I want to get called back again. Wow. Because you don't have that time. I mean, even Emmanuel and the fear, like we have a rehearsal space, but everybody's so busy independently with other gigs. Like our, our violinist is right now. She's on tour on and off for the next year, she's playing violin for the uh, the touring production of uh, Les Miserables. Jeez, wow! Like she does Broadway. She was uh, she was actually filling in. She was there was that big musical. There was uh, the the Great Comet. It was called. Okay. She she was in that show. Yeah, so she's like doing Les Mis and like like everybody's off doing, you know, big stuff. Uh, so when we get together, like we only have like one rehearsal to like, Oh, we got to put together these two new songs. We've been trading files back and forth about. Mm-hmm. Ah, so there is a lot of, so, so there's a lot of oh, correspondence yeah. to get oh, ready yeah. for the live. Okay. All right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Has to be for, for, I mean, think about all, all the different projects that you're involved with. And then each of those projects have three, four, five, six, seven people that are involved in all those different projects. There's a lot of shit coming together just to pull off a Zayo show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the 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 other the one other band that I uh, have done stuff with, uh, Leverage Models. Yeah, I was, yeah, there you go. Perfect. models is like that uh it's every again it's like our the band leader uh shannon he lives upstate uh on a horse farm 
and uh, everybody else lives in the city and he sends us songs and we actually record stuff on our own a lot of it I recorded a lot of the percussion for the leverage model stuff in my apartment and uh, would send it send the files over to him he'd put it together and then be like okay we're gonna play a show and then everybody listen to the recording and figure out what you have to do to pull this off live right and then would get together for a three-hour rehearsal and bash it out and then go on tour like it's that's just how you do it but he's also he's also working with a really high caliber musician too he's Mm -hmm. he's going after guys that do that most of the people that play in the leverage model stuff they're again like freelance musicians like Mm -hmm. he has somebody like uh trevor dunn from uh mr bungle like playing bass on it like trevor walks in and plays like absolutely batshit crazy uh stuff with like people like john zorn and stuff where he has to like walk in there and record an album in three hours uh you know you can you can pull him into the mix and say okay we have an hour to figure out how we're going to do this mm-hmm. you said there's a couple guys in leverage models that are, you're also dealing with uh two of the dudes that are in war on drugs yes wow man uh, they weren't in War on Drugs. I don't think they were in War on Drugs at the time. Uh, the one horn player, uh, his name is John Natchez. He's he's toured with, uh, he played with the National for a while. Okay, wow. Uh, he was in the David Byrne St. Vincent group. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, I actually knew a bunch of the horn players in that. One of the guys was in Emmanuel Fear at one point mm-hmm. in, the, in the David Byrne St. Vincent thing. Yeah, it's, it's a really, it, it can become a really small world in New York. Yeah, right. Somebody, somebody that you play some like gig in a dive bar with one day ends up being, uh, you know, in something really huge. <laughs> I played, a, I played a gig once uh, with this singer songwriter. We just did like, I mean, literally, I think there were maybe ten people at the show. Mm-hmm. Played like three songs at this like sort of open stage. I forget how I got the gig at this open stage thing. Uh, and she was really cool. Like she was nice and. Uh, about a year later, I knew she was an act, she was an actress that also sang. And I played this gig with her, and then about a year later, I saw she was posting on Facebook. She's like, "Oh, I just got uh, I just got hired to be on uh, The Walking Dead." <laughs> so then she wow. ended up being on the. But like, she was just somebody I played, and she was uh, her name was uh, Emily Kinney. Okay. She was on The Walking Dead for a while. I think Beth Green was the character she played. I never really watched The Walking Dead. Surprisingly, I so. can't. I can't remember at all. There's too many seasons, and I'm getting bored with it. Getting bored yeah. with the walk. I think she sang a lot on the show. Her character was like real into Tom Waits or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I think I yeah, know yeah. what you mean. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but like I said at the time, it was just it was like really it was like a really horrible. I mean, she was fine. It was like the venue was awful. Like drum set <laughs> right. was falling apart. It was like it was like play three. It was, it was like three songs that I played on. I got like fifty bucks. It was like right. just like a last minute pickup gig kind of thing. Right on, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, but you never know in New York. You really never know. Tell me a little bit about I Kill You. Uh, those guys, I've uh, been friends with them for, ooh, shortly after I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, I just started getting passed around the New York metal scene as the guy that, like, oh, our, we have this big show and our drummer bailed. Who can step in and fill in? 
And because uh, of the getting... Zayo thing, sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I sure. think you know, I, f- I forget exactly how it started, but then like it was to the point where yeah, I was doing it a lot. And uh, yeah, I kill you. I, I played on all three of their records. Um, they kept they 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 always have drummer problems. Huh. They can't keep a drummer, or they're not happy with drummers. So drummers are drummers can be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I played on all three of their records. I think they just broke up. I think they just broke up because they can't find a drummer. Yeah, well, they 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 had another drummer after I did the most recent record with them. Like they keep calling me in. Like usually they fire or a drummer quits right around the time they're going to record. So then they call me and they're like, "Hey, we're recording a record like in two weeks. Can you come in and lay down the tracks for it?" So then I'll do it, and then they'll find a drummer to then go out and tour. They've mm-hmm. asked me to join several times, and I just can't. I, I can't do it. Right. Because they want to get in. The, they want to get in the van and like go out, and they do. They'll go out for like two months at a time, and I'm just I'm I'm over that. And that murders you, like, all these things that you have going on. If you disappeared for two months, you come back and all these gigs are gone. Right. Yeah. Right. So that, that was my main – I'm just like, yeah, I just can't. I, I can't do it. At least not for – I mean, if – you know, I'm not going to lie. Like, if I got, like, offered – you know, hey, can you come out and tour with Slipknot for two months? Like, fuck yeah, I'll do that. No, I'll, buy, no. I'll buy a house when I come home. <laughs> right. Well, that's different. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. I'll reestablish after I'm done uh, yeah, paying off all my bills. <laughs> Right. Well, that makes sense. I, I spoke to um Jarzombek, the guitarist from Watchtower, and uh, uh yeah, I actually I actually auditioned for him once. Really? Yeah. Dude, that guy's he's so funny. What a nice dude. Um, right around the t- right around the time we were doing uh, the guitar, the Watchtower guitarist. The the yeah. Well, because there's two Jar Jarzombek. It was in the drummer. His no, brother. no, his 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 um. His, uh, yeah, Rob. Rob, yeah, Rob, I, uh, Rob Drozombek, the guitarist, yeah. Yeah, he did uh, He did a record. It was uh, Alex Webster from Cannibal Corpse playing bass. And I forget who ended up playing drums on it, but he was looking for a drummer at one point. It was like this like trio record he was doing. It was him and the, the Alex Webster from Cannibal Corpse, and they were looking for a drummer. And I actually like tracked drums. He had an audition piece that he was looking for someone to do it. Yeah. I, di- I didn't end up getting it, but... uh. Yeah, I did audition for him once. It was like a, it was like an over the over the email audition. Got it, got it, got it. He he said the same thing where he basically is like, I make a living doing guitar lessons. And oh yeah, yeah. If he 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 can play anything anything for anybody because he's nuts. But the problem is, if I disappear for two months and I come back, half of my students are missing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> they yeah. wander away. And I was like, well, how much clout is there with the whole like I have the. Uh, I'm being taught by the guy from Watchtower, and he's like, "None." He goes, he goes, he goes "That doesn't exist." Like, like this kid wants to learn uh, three cor- three three chords, and uh, he doesn't even know who I am or what I've done, nor does he give a shit. So, so if 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 you kind of go after the uh, ooh illustrious gig and hop in the van for a couple months, you come home and realize it wasn't illustrious. You didn't make as much money as you thought you would, and you kind of blew up your spot when you get home. So, oh, I think I, I know I lost some opportunities when I was out with Flamont and Ashes. Like right. I just moved to New York and I had I, I had some friends here and I was starting to get some calls and then I was gone for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then so it's like I lived in New York for a year and a half before I really got a chance to put roots down. And then uh, so I was just never here. Like I said, I lived here. Like my stuff was here, but I wasn't here. Uh, so yeah, it was. It, it can get. It can get. You gotta be picky sometimes. Yeah.
nice and clear. As the Story Grows is a part of Lavera Productions. High five. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook at As the Story Grows and visit the site at asthestorygrows.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything. Visit the Bandcamp link in the notes of this show for free cover songs, some free tunes, and merch. If you like what you heard and would like to help, there's a Patreon link on every episode. Or you can look for the dollar sign on the website for one-time donations. If you can't afford to donate, that's totally okay. Tell a friend, retweet me, and give me a good rating on iTunes. Send your guest requests and any feedback for the show to asthestorygrows at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening today. We love you. Take care. Bye-bye.